Protecting yourself, your family and your personal belongings with insurance should be part of a comprehensive financial plan. But many residents in the UAE don't bother to take our protection, with some paying the price for having no cover in place further down the line. While some insurance cover is mandatory in the Emirates, such as car and health insurance, other protection is optional, such as travel, home contents and life insurance. According to a 2018 survey from financial comparison website Yala Compare, only 11% of UAE consumers are subscribed to a home contents insurance policy, and almost two-thirds of residents do not take out travel insurance before an international holiday. So what insurance should we actually have in place, and how much should we expect to pay to protect ourselves and our possessions? I'm Alice Hayne, the personal finance editor of The National, and joining me is Willie Lowry, a multimedia producer at The National, who has no idea about insurance. Later, we'll be joined by Jonathan Rawling, chief financial officer of Yala Compare, who knows everything there is to know about insurance. So, Willie, what insurance policies do you have in place? Oh, Alice, I fear that I am woefully negligent when it comes to insurance. Short of the health insurance that the National provides me and the car insurance, which I'm forced to to own, I don't think, to my knowledge, that I have any other insurance. None at all? No. So you live in a house? You live in a villa or a flat in the UAE? I wish I lived in a villa. No, I live in an apartment. Okay. So you've got lots of possessions in your house. What happens if you get flooded, there's a fire, you get burgled? You've got to replace all of that. Yeah. I mean, I li- we live a relatively Spartan lifestyle. So, I mean, short of our, our television and our computer, I guess. No, you're right. Actually, it all adds up. We have lots of camera equipment and... Yeah, I don't it know. It does all add up. You've got to factor in your clothes. You know, it's every single item in your house, all your kitchen equipment, your toiletries. You've got to, you've got to replace everything. If, if everything goes, you've got to replace everything. So that's the first thing. What about when you go traveling? You travel a lot, Willie. So, what, you know, have you got protection for that? Absolutely not. No. Uh, and, and my wife and I were freelance uh, journalists in East Africa for almost three years. And we travel to a fair amount of what I would describe as kind of hot zones. We never bought insurance, but that was one of those one one of those few times where we actually thought of buying it. But it was just when when our capital was so little, we just didn't have the extra money to to buy it. So, what would have happened if you had become ill during one of those trips? How would you know? How would you have paid for it? If you're already on a tight budget, how would you have paid for that health cover? Well, in lots of the places that we were going, uh, local medical care would have been relatively, I mean, it would have been affordable. Wouldn't have been very good, but, you know, for malaria is the, would have been the primary concern that we were dealing with. You'd have, we'd have access to, to malarin or other kind of drugs required to, to combat malaria, and those would have been affordable out of pocket. But what happens if you get very ill? I've had malaria, Willie. It makes you very, very poorly, and I had to go into hospital for a week. So, uh, you know, you, you, you might have had to be evacuated if you've got seriously ill and go back to your home country. So you've still got to cover that and pay that. And that comes directly out of your pocket rather than out of the insurance pocket. Yes. Yeah, so I feel like I'm lecturing you here. So I think I think you're not alone. It's it's quite common for people not to have the right insurance cover in place. And none of us are perfect. For example, I always get travel insurance when I go on holiday with my family. 
and uh, we went to Africa at Christmas and I made sure I had enough cover should we get very ill that we needed to be evacuated. And as it was, we actually arrived with a son with a fever. It's a difficult time to have a fever, but that was at Christmas. And, uh, you know, it, uh, I, I knew that he was just reacting to his injections to protect him, but it could have been much more serious and we might have had to get out of the country quickly. Um, but when I travel home, for some reason, I don't get insurance because I'm thinking in my head, well, I'm going to my own country. I don't need travel insurance, but I probably do. Actually, my bags can still get lost. My flights can still be cancelled uh, and I might need uh, major surgery or something while I'm there. But in actual fact, when I'm traveling home, I'm also at the back of my mind thinking that my health insurance policy from work will cover that but it doesn't necessarily cover you for things going wrong on the journey and things do go wrong when we travel and we travel more um, and as a result you kind of need to be protected and then home contents uh, some years I get it and some years I forget to get it and then I remind myself again about the absolutely phenomenal cost of replacing the entire contents of a house for a family and it kind of boggles my mind and I immediately go up and sign for a policy and they're not expensive it's actually very very cheap people think that home contents insurance is just another cost but it's actually a very cheap thing and it does give you that peace of mind that you're going to be okay um, but also you know you you say you're married what about life insurance, Willie? What happens if, if you know, something happens to you? How, how is your wife going to cope without you? Probably fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel like I might be the financial anchor that keeps her from floating. Uh, no, I mean, these are, these are good questions uh, of which we have not thought of. It depends. I mean, do you have children? No. So I didn't actually get life insurance until I, the day that my daughter was born. And then you panic because there's this overwhelming sense of, oh, my goodness, you've got to support this little thing for the rest of her life. And so I have a policy in place that is a joint policy with my husband and it pays out should either one of us, you know, die in a terrible car accident or something. And it also pays out to the children should we both go at the same time. It's a it's a term policy, which means it only pays out should we die. There's no investment element around it. You do want to avoid those policies. They're not cost effective, but it's a pure life insurance product. And it just gives me peace of mind that everything is covered should you know something go wrong. And it's very, very important uh, when you're out here because um, if you're an expatriate particularly, you, you have to think about uh, you know retirement and savings and future. And if one, particularly if you're both earners and one of you just disappears or if you're just one earner and that, that single earner disappears, that, the rest of the family is left floundering. And so it just gives them that kind of protection and safety net that they're going to be covered uh, after the death because that's that's also a difficult time to think about it you actually might not necessarily want to go to work if you've just lost your partner so um it just it it just gives you that security and that's what insurance is really is security but you, you seem quite relaxed i mean i was before this conversation <laughs> uh no I, I i i think i certainly have a relatively nonchalant approach to to life but obviously there you know that doesn't mean it's the right approach. So I think I could definitely be more proactive and take uh, better, you know, precautionary steps. Insurance being being one of them. To to be honest, it's one of those things that I just I rarely, it rarely factors into my thinking. Okay, but it should. It should. And I think at this point we should bring in Jonathan Rawling from Yala Compare who can really help to drive home the message, Jonathan. Does Willie need to think about his insurance more carefully? 
Uh, Willie does need to think about his insurance a little more carefully, actually. Although that being said, I I think, Willie, that that story is very typical. I I think if we took 100 people off the street and in those 100 there wasn't a finance journalist, then probably most of them would be in a similar position. So let's pick up on a few of those things in in turn if we can. So let's talk about home insurance first. I I think you made a really good point, Alice, that people and the, the... Sentiments that you expressed are exactly the ones that we, we try and rail against when, when we see those objections a lot. So people will say that they're here in the UAE for a short time, that they don't feel a sense of permanence. They probably haven't bought a whole lot of expensive furniture, and so they figure, actually, that what's to protect, really? Why is it worth it? But you, your point is exactly right. What if you had to replace every single thing you owned? And that includes, you know watches you have, handbags, every single piece of clothing, I mean, you're really going to run into trouble there if, if something goes wrong. Another thing to consider with home insurance is it's covering more than just your stuff. The important thing that it also covers is what if there was something happened in your building and you couldn't stay there, so you needed to go live somewhere else. Now, probably you've paid your landlord in advance, Probably, possibly, through a legal case, you'll get that money back at some point, but it's not going to be the easiest process, right? What a lot of these insurance policies do is, firstly, they give you cover for alternative accommodation. So that very day, that they will find somewhere else for you to go, so you're still comfortable. And that's a big cost. It's a very big it, cost. It can be, yeah. Imagine if... Um, I actually used to live in the Torch Tower in Dubai when it... Um, when it burnt. My apartment was fine. The, the one next to me was uninhabitable. And that was a you know, governmental distinction that once it's declared uninhabitable, you can't go there until they tell you it's fine again. And I didn't really know the people next door, but what I am sure is they weren't around for the next six months. So it could be, I mean, your insurance won't cover you for six months, but it'll at least give you typically 30 days where you can make alternative arrangements. So it's a big cover and it's a big risk to take. Again, to your point, Alice, it's really very cheap. We, we, we like to say that you can get home insurance for a year for the price of a new toaster. So you can How much get, does a new toaster cost? <laughs> uh, it can be like 200 dirhams. So we have home insurance policies and Yala Compare, simple ones, 60 dirhams. So it can be very cheap. Probably if you're going to protect everything in your apartment properly, then you're probably looking, I don't know, 250, 350 dirhams. But that's not very much per month, right? No, that sounds very reasonable. I'm texting my wife right now. <laughs> <laughs> And what about travel insurance? Because we yeah. are in a bit of a funny phase at the moment with a lot of flights being cancelled and um, people worrying about coronavirus and cancelling holidays or not travelling because they're worried about catching infection. You know, does can our travel insurance protect us in this situation? So funnily enough, I've, I've been looking quite hard at travel insurance over the ca- past couple of weeks. So we're rebuilding the Yala Compare site to compare travel insurance better. So I, I know one they used to do about travel insurance. One thing that actually surprised me, and now I'm going to be the anti-insurance guy, is travel insurance covers less than most people would think it covers. So if you're really buying travel insurance, what it does cover you very well for always is medical costs when you're on the ground in country. I think people associate it with trip cancellation, cancelled flights, lost bags, all those things. And that cover is there. In some policies, not all, so, so check carefully. But actually, those covers are relatively limited. So if your trip is cancelled, you maybe like, like get a $500 benefit, something like that. doesn't mean you can't also get it back from the, the airline and so on. But really, when you buy travel insurance, what you should be thinking about is, what medical cover do I have in that country? If something goes wrong, will I be, be looked after? That, that's the main benefit. So you should look at your 
your health insurance that you already have from your employer and assess where, wh- whether that covers you in the place that you're going to. And if it doesn't, then you need a travel insurance policy. Yeah, I, I think as a rule of thumb on your health insurance that you have here from the UAE, it is most likely doesn't cover you overseas. So if you work for maybe a multinational employer and they've got a really nice plan, then maybe. But I think the most people that are here, that that cover is not going to be effective overseas. And so you need to be thinking about topping that up with travel insurance. On the other side of it, I think when you have visitors coming to stay, there's something else that people often forget, particularly if they're having elderly parents to stay. Uh, Very sadly, there's been a case in Dubai recently where a woman's parents came out. They didn't have travel insurance. The mother became very, very ill. She ran up a bill of 500,000 dirhams and she has since died, which is very sad. But it's left that family with that bill to pay because the parents didn't have travel insurance to travel here. And that's something that people don't often think about. Agreed. Um, in theory, there there are two products that would cover that. So it should be possible to buy an inbound travel product. So if someone is coming in, but there aren't many providers for that. I'm even struggling to find one that we can put on the site so we can sell. So most likely in the, those cases, what you need to do, the key thing with travel insurance is it, it has to be before you leave. Otherwise, that, that cover is just not going to be in place for you. There is an option, actually, okay. because I did this. I went to Canada. Uh, great with country. My, great country uh, with my family. And I forgot to get the policy before my husband and children already left the country. I was going later. Yeah. So I actually used, um, I think it was a company called Global Nomads, right. or World yep. Nomads, yep. because they allow you to buy the policy once you're already on the trip. And there, there is a, a kind of exclusion period where you can't make any okay. claims on it. But it meant that by the time we actually got to Canada, we had something in place. Sure. So, so those products do exist. You're absolutely right. They, they are a little harder to find, though. So you, so you did well to find one. That was probably in what we call an inbound product from Canada. I'm not sure how many inbound products there are from UAE. So if parents arrive in UAE, I don't know how easy it would be to find that product. So going back to coronavirus, because that really is the hot topic of the moment, if I have a travel insurance policy and I travel to a country and I get coronavirus, am I protected? If you travel to the country and you get it, then yes. Uh, The medical component will kick in by then because that that policy should be active. Uh, Very importantly, though, if you have booked a trip and you cannot take that trip or choose not to take that trip because of coronavirus, not covered. Okay. So then we have to fall back on the airlines because they are putting in waiver policies on switching flights. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we've sorted out that aspect. But what about our health insurance? I mean, let's say, um, you know, how comprehensive are our health insurance policies when it comes to coronavirus? Uh, Honest answer is I don't know, and it hasn't been tested yet. In theory, it should be covered. I think it's less of a concern because I think were any of us unfortunate enough to get diagnosed with coronavirus, I'm pretty sure the authorities would whisk us up whisk us away, look after us and only return us when we're asymptomatic. 100%, I don't think you'd, you'd ever see a bill for that. that. That's them protecting the country. So when it comes to our, our health insurance yeah. policies, you know, how can we learn to kind of understand them better? And, and, you know, every company offers their staff a different policy and your level of cover is different on depending on who you yeah. work for and sometimes the level of position that you're at. Yeah. So how do we work out what we're covered for and what we're not covered for? So first answer and Brutal answer. I bought health insurance for my wife, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. And honestly, it confused me as, as to what I was buying. You know, I've been working in insurance for a long time. And it's kind of hard to figure out 
what you're covered for, I, I kind of get that. But most people's question isn't necessarily what they're covered for. It's where can I go? If I want to go to the hospital, does it include this nice hospital? Does it include the one that I, I like and the one that I'm comfortable with? And that, that's actually really hard to find out. So what you generally get when you take out a health insurance policy, and I had this one recently from a big company, I won't name the company, it's they sent me a spreadsheet, and this, this spreadsheet literally has tens of thousands of rows in this with all the clinics I can go to. But it's not sortable in any way. If, if I want to put Arabian ranches, for example, I literally have to type it and go through it and try to find those things. So it's really opaque in that sense. And that's actually something, it's perhaps not for the next few months, it's something that we're working on to develop kind of interactive maps and things like that. So you can actually see what's near me and am I covered by it. Now, in terms of what's covered, there, it's really important to know that there are some different tiers of health insurance in this country. So, so the, what is mandatory, it just comes down to what we call an EBP product. So your employer or you as a sponsor for your spouses must at least buy this EBP product. That EBP product is very cheap. It's about 600 dirhams a year. But it, all it's really giving you is if there is something very critical, very fast, I mean, you will be able to go to a hospital and you will get treatment. So it's good. You're getting treatment. It's much better to have it than not have it. What is covered beyond that very much depends on your policy. And a lot of things that you think might be covered actually might not be. So, for example, some health insurance policies, actually quite a lot of health insurance policies, would exclude anything that happened to you in a, in a motor accident where, where you were the driver. Now, you're going to say, that's okay, because my car insurance policy covers me for that. Yeah, maybe. Do you have cover for that in your insurance policy or have you bought third party only? So, so there's some real gaps in cover there that we are working with insurers to try and close. So we're trying to design some products that actually fill that specific gap. So if I have a car accident yeah. and I've caused that accident, yeah. my policy might not might be void and that I won't get I won't have my medical expenses paid. It could end up being difficult for you, yeah. Because it's one on the admission forms, if you look, they're looking for, is there a car involved? And then they're looking to the car insurance rather than the health insurance. And your car insurance may not cover that. I imagine yours would, because you'll have the comprehensive one, because you know what you're buying. Some people's won't. I think he's trying to say I'm the one who might be at risk. <laughs> so really what car what insurance do you have, Willie? <laughs> I mean, do you know if you've got comprehensive or third-party cover? I think that I actually might have been responsible on this one and got comprehensive insurance. Okay. And is that because it's quite a new car as well? Yeah, it's, it is the, f the, the biggest purchase that I've ever made, a brand new car. And so I, I just got the kind of best base insurance I could get. Okay. If, how did you buy it? Where, where did you get the policy? Did you buy it from the dealer or did you shop around? Or? For the, the insurance policy. I feel like we're both picking on you now. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I feel like I might deserve it. Um, how did I get the policy? I asked the dealer for okay. a num for you know a list of of insurance right. companies. Okay, and I won't say I blindly picked, yeah. but AXA, if you look at the alphabet, is definitely pretty high up there. <laughs> okay, um, good. Um, okay, so. The point I was trying wanted to make on this is compare. Buying, well, compare, but but buying from dealers can be very expensive. Can be. So, 
A lot of the dealers will have a tie-up with one specific insurance company. So it's, I think they offered you more, so th this is already good. They'll have a tie-up with one specific insurance company, which means you can only have that product, and that dealer will be making a very high commission on that. Very high probably means 30% commission, whereas typically a broker would make 15%. So that they're taking 15% off you. And this kind of works because you, I imagine you are buying a new car. It's exciting, right? You just want to drive the thing away. So just give me the insurance and I want to go. Absolutely. That kind of rush quite often costs you money. So it's always worth comparing before you, you know, drive out of the dealer with the, that insurance. And that's something that you can do on your portal. Is yeah, you can, absolutely. You can compare yeah. all the different options. In actual fact, now this is interesting because I have been with the same insurer okay. for 15 years and I've kept, and that's for home contents and for uh, car insurance. And I actually spoke to your co-founder, John, okay. and he was telling me that I probably have actually got the best deal because I then said, oh, I must come onto your site and compare and see if I can find a better deal because my cars are older because yeah. I've held them for a long time. I am actually right at the bottom of the possible insurance payment that I have to make for the year. So yep. he says that I'm probably right. in the right place, despite sticking with the same person for a long time, which is wrong, I, I understand. First of all, slight, slightly disappointed that our CEO told you not to compare, but okay. Um, you, you may well be. So first of all, dream customer for the insurer, by the way. That, that's, you know, and by the way, if you're comfortable and you're comfortable with the price, and I don't know if you've had some claims with them and they've been good, you know, Always consider that. Never, ever change just because of price. You, you've got to make sure that you're getting the right benefits. And actually, people are pretty savvy. So a stat that I really like is that on our portal, 84.4% of people don't buy the cheapest thing we show them. So that, that shows me that people are making this sort of value cost trade-off. In your case, particularly on car insurance, or maybe even only on car insurance, there's the concept in this country of minimum premium. So this was something that was introduced by the insurance authority, I don't know, two, three years ago, saying that a premium for uh, an SUV can't go below 2,000 dirhams. There are some no-claims discounts that come on top of that, but let's say 2,000 for now. And for a sedan car, 1,300 dirhams. So if you are at that level, then you actually can't save any money. So yes, you, I am. Yeah, so then... You know, look for the benefits, look for the company that you're comfortable with and, and, and stick around if you're happy. But now uh. this is bringing us back to health insurance because the, the company that I'm with, I then used the same company. At one point, I had to get health insurance for one of my children and I used the same company for a health policy right. and it was not cost effective and it was a terrible policy. I'd go in and have a routine test and they'd say, oh, it's not covered. And I'd be like, well, why? And it was because it was a pre-existing condition. Right. And uh, in the past, my child had been covered by a corporate policy. Right. And because I was coming in as an individual customer, I got a much worse deal. So since then, I've now swapped the child back onto the corporate policy because I couldn't deal with that endless wrangling on yeah, the phone yeah. about which test was going to be covered. Yeah. So that experience was very negative and I would never use that particular insurer. Even for though that. they're a very good insurer yeah. for my car, I wouldn't use them for health. Yeah, and I think that's not atypical, honestly. I mean, I, I go to insurers, you know, a couple of times a week. I mean, they're visiting for something. Generally speaking, the people that deal with health insurance are, are a very distinct group on a different floor and, and they have different things. 
so that there's not necessarily any correlation between those. But there is, there is, it is true that you you have better coverage. I think if you're just part of a group policy, though, Gen- as an individual, you have to account for every pre-existing condition. Generally, yes. Yeah. So let, let's come back to pre-existing conditions in a minute because that's really important. But it, it just makes sense, right? Because if you're buying a policy for 200 people, then you can get the insurer to throw extra benefits in. You can negotiate on a collective basis. So it's not always true, but more likely if you have a, a policy from the employer that's a group policy, then you more like to have better protections. Turning back to preconditions, this is actually really important and people don't understand this. And I heard somebody on the radio the other day say something that just made me wince. People will tell you that pre-existing conditions have to be covered. And that's true. But firstly, they're only covered if, if you disclose them, right? So if you have something and you choose not to tell the insurer that or you forget, then that's now not going to be covered because you forgot. The, the second thing is, well, and the mistake that leads to that forgetting is that while insurers are obliged to take that risk, so they can't say we're not going to insure you because of this pre-existing condition, they are allowed to price for it. So the price will be often quite substantially different if you actually disclose what's going on. And this isn't trivial at all. So so we've seen customers on our platform that have bought a health insurance policy, haven't told us and haven't told the insurer something. And then when this thing comes out, they're not covered and they're facing, you know, literally a premium bill of 100,000 dirhams to, to continue this cover. So if you're going to make that decision to not tell the insurer something, firstly, don't, but really just understand the consequences of that because it can be really severe. Just one more thing on health insurance that perhaps one might think is covered but actually turns out not to be covered as much as you think. Is there a limits on your policy? So, so we had one example recently of the, the daughter of a customer and unfortunately she con- contracted some kind of cancer. So or already a terrible story. The limit on her policy was 250,000 dirhams, but the treatment this little girl needed was uh, 15,000 dirhams a day. That, that's what, so if you work the numbers, you're coming out of that cover, what I would call coming out the top of the cover pretty quickly. So it's worth looking, what is that maximum on the policy? Are you comfortable with that maximum? And if you're not, and when we talk about life insurance, there are other kind of top-up products that you can get for, for very specific diseases that will cover you in that worst-case scenario. Thinking about uh, cancer and then yeah. life insurance, because that's yeah. it's a grave topic to talk about, mm. but it's something we do need to think about, particularly if you've got dependents. I mean, Larry, you sound like you've got a nice independent wife. Brilliant. I would describe myself more as a dependent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then make sure she, uh, so she maybe buys. she needs to take out the life insurance <laughs> to make sure you're protected. Um, but, you know, as somebody with children, I, I life insurance is something very important to me because I like to know that should anything happen to me, not only are my children okay, but my husband's okay because my husband's a bit of a dependent on me to, in terms of I do all the financial management and planning mm-hmm. in the household. So... Um, the problem with life insurance here, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll, we need to address this, is that unfortunately a lot of products are sold as investment sort of savings right. products, which has ended up with a lot of people being um, sort of financially displaced because yeah. they've got a poor performing and very expensive product yeah. that isn't really helping their investment returns. And, and so they get out of that product and then they think life insurance then gets tarnished with a very bad brush. Yeah. And, and the distinction that people need to make is between whole of life and uh, term, is yeah. that right? 
Honestly, I've never really understood why, why we call it this because there are, and it's not just here, that there are a whole bunch of investment products out there that have some sort of life insurance wrapper around them. It's not really life insurance at all. It's savings. I mean, yeah. so, so you may want to plan for your future in some way financially. My advice is life insurance isn't the tool to do that. It, it, it has valid other reasons, and we'll talk about those now. But if you want something financial, get, get a financial product. It's probably not a life insurance company that you're better off speaking to. In terms of the actual protection, it's the, it's the term cover that really protects you. So term life means if you die, and it really does mean die in that period, then that policy will respond and, and pay out. So if you're looking to, you know, if you have a dependent spouse or dependent children or maybe even dependent parents overseas, a lot of people forget about that. If somebody is dependent on your income, then you should be thinking about protecting that income and looking after them if you're not there. Now... And this is morbid. There's no other way around this, okay? That only protects you if you die. So at the moment you die, that policy can respond. It cannot respond in, until you do. But there are some that have a little bit of critical illness built in. The, the, this is exactly yeah. what I was coming on to. So, so if you're looking at life insurance, you should be looking at three prongs. Well, one is that the term protection, the life insurance cover, the death cover that we've just talked about. The, the second is critical illness cover. Now, critical illness, again, it's... For, if you are diagnosed with one of a list of dread diseases, that's an insurance term, of which cancer is, of course, one, Alzheimer's is one, that there's a long list, then that policy can respond straight away with a lump sum payment. So if you remember, we were talking about protecting income. So you don't just want to protect that against your death. You want to protect it against you not being able to earn for some other reason. So the second component we should think about is critical illness. So if you're diagnosed with one of these diseases, probably you can't earn. And secondly, probably you've got some immediate medical bills that, as we've discussed, might not be picked up fully by your health insurance. So critical illness is, is the second key component that you should have in a good life insurance program. The third one is what we call TPD, so total permanent disability. So this is if you cannot work for any reason because some accident has happened, then you've also got protection for your income under that third pillar. So three pillars important. Death, critical illness, disability. If you have all those, th then you're in a pretty good place. And how much should you insure yourself for? Uh, it's a very good question. I mean, and, and there's no correct answer for this, but if you're providing an income for someone else and you want to replace that income, then I guess you just need to make a decision how long do you want to replace that income for. So I, I think probably a number... You'd struggle to get cover for more than three to five times your salary, but... You know, the more you can get, the better, really. And, and one important thing is, if you are buying a life insurance policy, it's not that if you have three times your salary or six times your salary, the premium's going to double. So, so you, you're getting returns to scale if, if you insure more. But you never want to make it too lucrative, I always think. Well, right. <laughs> took, uh... the, took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> If you've got any questions about insurance or any other personal finance related issues, write to me at pf at the national.ae. And remember that PF stands for personal finance. So uh, on that note, we're going to switch over to a listener's question. Um, and this is from TL in Dubai. And she says, I'm moving into a new villa and want to insure my belongings, as I've heard the area does flood sometimes when it rains. 
Do I have to declare that my property is a flood risk or that the area has been flooded before when I take out a policy? And how much should I pay for a two-bedroom villa with a garden? Now, this is particularly key because in the UK at the moment, it's just full of floods and a lot of people who haven't got insurance um, are obviously suffering. But here, yeah. it's not necessarily known as a flood risk country. Right. So good question. And general advice, if you think you should tell the insurer something, then, then tell them. But let, let's get into the actual practicalities of it. I don't think the insurer is going to ask you in, in this country if you have been flooded before, or if that property has been flooded before. If they do ask you, then answer the question to the best of your knowledge. Now, we get into a little technicality that are you obliged to disclose it if you are not asked it? Now, insurance contracts are interesting because you know how a normal contract would be based on good faith. An insurance contract is based on the concept of utmost good faith or ubirame fides in, in Latin, which means that you technically would be obliged to disclose it. So my question is, I kind of assume that these insurance companies are all-knowing. Shouldn't they already know based on the location of that person's uh, new residence, kind of the risks? I, I think so, yeah, because, I mean, if that duty of absolute good faith cuts both ways and it, it's something that is public information and they probably ought to know. So I think if um, the questioner didn't declare it and there was a claim, I don't think the insurer would, would deny it on this basis. However, my real advice to her would be if you're proposing via some paper form or something, just put a note on it. It's, it's not going to affect your premium anyway. It's all going to be pre-rated. They're not going to, to, to hike up your, your cost because of this. One important thing to note, though, is what does this actually cover? So it will cover anything in the house. So if the water comes into the house and damages anything, that will be covered. Any goods left outside so in the garden, garden furniture, anything you leave outside will not be covered. So that's important too. And she, she asked how much she should pay for this insurance for a two-bedroom villa with a garden. Uh, difficult to answer specifically, but... But as you were saying earlier on, it could be as low as yeah. 200, 300 euros. Rule of thumb for a villa, maybe 500-ish. I would be comfortable with 500, but I suspect she could probably get something 350-ish, depending on exactly what she needs. And just to clarify, that's per year? Per year, sorry, yeah. Seems reasonable. That's yeah. reasonable, isn't it, Willie? So come on, it's time to go and protect those belongings, no matter how insignificant you think they are. <laughs> try and re try and replace the whole lot. Just imagine what that bill is in your head, and and you might understand the benefits of insurance. Yeah, no, the three hundred seems like a good deal. Okay. W one more thing to have in your head, if I can, is that there's a concept in insurance called a co-insurance clause. Right. That means you do not want to underdeclare the value of your goods. So, so let's say if you under-declare, you would be deemed to be a co-insurer for the part that you didn't declare on a percentage basis. So you don't want to under-declare. So when you are, when this lady is, I assume it's a lady, when she's deciding how much cover she wants, she should think about how much stuff does she really have and, you know, have a good think about it rather than a guess. So if you under-declare, what will happen then? Just imagine if the insurer examined this claim and was found that you'd under-declared. So, so let's think about what insurance is doing. It's basically the insurance company taking a risk away from you in return for cash, right? And, and this is where your duty of ultimate, absolute good faith comes out. You have to tell them what is this risk they're taking. So let's say you tell them you have 
goods or something worth 50 and it turns out to be 100, okay? You are now going to be 50% liable for anything that happens. So any claim that you make, you're only going to get 50% back because you only half told them the risk in the first place. It's kind of complicated. Did you? So this is when you when you sign up for your home insurance. Yeah, you have to give them an estimate of right. how much you you own. Right. So does that mean if you're covered for fifty thousand, you'll only get twenty five thousand back? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. I think I might need to be a bit more honest about the value of the contents of my home then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, generally it's not a risk because more most people are more likely to over declare than under declare. I'm just pointing out that under declaring is a risk if, if you can try and do that to save money just be aware that this is probably not not a good plan and you won't save that much money anyway and are there any negative consequences of over declaring um not really i mean don't do it you, you, sh- you should be as accurate as you can if you have over declared then most likely in that kind of total loss claim, they're not just going to give you the sum insured. They're going to account for specific things and give you the market value of those things. So you might end up paying a higher premium because you're overinsured, but you won't end up with a higher claim. So you're just doing yourself a disservice, really. Well, thank you for all those tips, Jonathan. Lovely to have you on the show. And thank you also to Willie for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you this week to Willie Lowry and Jonathan Rawling. If you would like advice on your personal finance issues, you can write to me on pf at thenational.ae. And remember that PF stands for personal finance. Please subscribe to the podcast in your podcasting app to receive weekly updates. And also leave a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison. I've been your host, Alice Haynes.